music has jazz, opera, choirs, symphonies and more. Visit www.music.ubc.ca for listings of free and nearly free musical elixirs to keep you warm all winter long. Hey there. Happy Wednesday. It's March 11th, 2009, and my name is Tracy Fuller, and this is the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM. It's another beautiful day here in Vancouver. I honestly can't ask for better. Uh, there's no rain, the sky is blue. It is a little bit cold, and it has been quite cold recently. But really, I think this is quite a nice end to our winter season here in Vancouver. The crocuses are already starting to uh, peep out through the ground. You see some uh, robins on the grounds building their nests and and things are starting to really begin to feel like spring around here. It's not quite smelling like spring yet, but spring is well on its way. So uh, in that vein, I've got a jam-packed show ready for you today. There's so many things that have gone on. I guess I'll drop the ball a little bit because there are two events that happened this past weekend. Well, not events, but special days that I should have recognized last week on the show or perhaps on my Friday Arts Update, but I didn't. So I'm going to use today's show to recognize A, World Theatre Day, which happened this past Sunday, and International Women's Day, which also happened this past Sunday, I believe. Both, both days on the same day. And I neglected both of them. However, I'm about to make up for it. On today's show, I have opera, the Vancouver Opera Company's Rigoletto is on stage now with the Queenie. I went last night and I will be talking to two bloggers who went to the opening night and to bloggers night at the opera. Yes, bloggers have infiltrated the opera people. You're going to hear about it later. Then I've got an interview with Norman Armour, who is directing The Culture's new presentation of Blackbird. That's hitting the stage tomorrow night. And then on Friday, opening up the Fire Hall Arts Centre, This Mortal Flesh by Andrew Templeton is hitting the stage. I've also got an interview with Andrew Templeton, along with a whole bunch of Femcon music to uh, keep us happy along the way. So it should be a jam-packed and wonderful show. Thanks so much for tuning in. So, getting right to it, Rigoletto is Giuseppe Verde's dark, powerful story of treachery and vengeance. Regarding the story, Rigoletto is a jester in the court of a womanizing duke. When the duke's jokes go too far, he becomes the subject... Ooh, I mean, when Rigoletto's jokes go too far, he becomes the subject of the angry count's curse. So Rigoletto's beloved daughter, Gilda, is kidnapped by the duke's courtiers, and Rigoletto swears revenge. The jester's plan to kill the duke goes terribly terribly wrong when Gilda falls in love with the Duke and ends up paying the price by sacrificing her life for his. Yes, no, it's it's an opera. It, it goes right to the edge there, people. We have love, we have loss, we have tragedy, we have amazing haunting voices. This emotional and haunting production was conceived and directed by Glynis Leishon and it features an imaginative set designed by Breda Garricky. And the set really is totally modern. An elevated stage of steel, and it's, it looks almost like a big cage. And there are stilt walkers, acrobats, harlequins, burlesque dancers, 
the whole lot there, people. This is not your traditional opera. Rigoletto himself is played by the amazing Donnie Ray Albert, who looks just like the Hunchback of Notre Dame, and his beautiful daughter Gilda is played by the astounding Eglise Gutierrez. Seriously, people, the singing in this production is transporting. Eglise is quite literally, well, Eglise quite literally goes over the moon during the performance with her beautiful soprano voice. The aesthetic of the opera is not traditional. Instead, the scenes are set in a stylized French court with wigs and corsets and plenty of exposed flesh. Clocking in about at about three hours, you barely notice the time go by. Rigoletto by the Vancouver Opera Company is not to be missed. And here with probably the most memorable piece of Verdi's um from Verdi's opera is a clip from Jean-Pierre Ponel's classic film of Rigoletto. This clip is performed by the legendary Luciano Pavarotti, and he is singing the role of the philandering duke. Here's a little taste of Rigoletto for you out there. Luciano Pavarotti. I, I can't imagine anyone topping that performance. But along with the excitement of the opera itself, there was another reason to be excited about the Vancouver Opera Company's new production of Rigoletto, which opened this past Saturday. Rigoletto marks the second time the Vancouver Opera Company has invited local bloggers from the Lower Mainland to come to the opera and blog about their experiences. 
In total, four bloggers were at the Sunday night premiere. And earlier today, I spoke with two of them about the experience. First, I called up Kimley Welsh. She's the woman behind Delicious Juice blog. And Kimley has been blogging in Vancouver for since... Uh, March 30th, 2001. Kimley lives in North Vancouver with three cats, one boy, many computers, and eight video game consoles. And along with opera, she enjoys scooters, video games, writing, and other a bunch of other things. Oh, Diet Coke, snails, and falling down. Here's what Kimley had to say about this past Saturday night's Blogger's Night at the Opera. Can you give me a sense of how you got involved in this night? I know that you attended the Carmen Opera as well as this recent Rigoletto performance. But I did, yes. But did someone call you up one day and said, Hey, Kimley, do you want to blog at the opera? That's pretty much exactly what happened, actually. Um, Ling Chan, who works for the Vancouver Opera, uh, has been reading my website for a little while, and when they decided they were going to be doing this whole blogger, or blogger night opera thing, um, she thought of me, and so she literally quite messaged me on Facebook and said, Hey, <laughs> this is who I am, this is what we're doing, are you interested? And I immediately called her back, and, and we took it from there. Amazing. Have you seen opera before? No, my scene, Carmen, was the very first opera I'd ever seen. Oh my gosh, and and what was that experience like? It was incredible. I mean, it was really nothing like I had expected, but at the same time, it was kind of what I, I envisioned the whole, you know, opera experience to be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, as far as the performance goes, it was absolutely fantastic, but just then, the thing that really didn't uh, that surprise me was how into the whole event I got in, uh, how into it I got. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, um, were you so? Can you give listeners a sense? Like, are you sitting there with your laptop in your lap and you're typing during the performance, or no, what does this no, blogging no, at the that, opera? Because that would actually be really distracting. Because we're seeing an actual performance, so everyone around us is actually you know they're there to see the opera. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we have is they set us up at a table in the lobby, and so we blog before the opera starts and then during the intermissions, and then also at the end of the opera. And it's yourself and how many other bloggers? Uh, for Carmen, there was myself and four others, and then for Rigoletto, there was actually six of us in total. Okay, so just this past Saturday, you went to see Rigoletto, so you, this is your second opera. This is, yeah. And, and what did you think? I thought it, I actually enjoyed it more than Carmen. Mm. Um, there were aspects that had completely taken me by surprise. Um, I actually wrote an update today about uh, the set and how I appreciated the set and the lighting work that was done for this. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was an absolutely incredible performance. You know, I really enjoyed the interpretation that the that the art directors took with this this one performance, mm-hmm. and it just, it just blew me it blew me away. Mm-hmm. And do you? Did the the woman who called you on the phone, did, did she give you a sense of why the opera has decided that they want to s- explore the opera in this way? And it's not just the blogs, I should mention. There's also manga available online. There are podcasts. The opera's really reaching out to all areas of new media to really speak to a different audience. Exactly, yeah. And I actually, I met with Ling before the Carmen performance, and she told me a little bit about what the opera is doing. And they are doing exactly that. You know, they're using the tools that are available to them and reaching out to a broader audience, you know, reaching out to younger people, reaching out to, you know, kids who like comic books and manga. And it's, it's really interesting to see where this has gone, even just in the two performances that we've seen. You know, I mean, the manga, I know that they've been doing for a while, which is absolutely fantastic, but then using social media as well, you know, using Twitter, using Facebook, using the blogs, just to kind of get more people aware of the fact that, you know what, maybe instead of just going to a movie and getting a burger before the show, 
we'll go to an opera. You know, we'll make a we'll make a fancy night out of it. Absolutely. And and did people come up to you as you were sitting at the table in the lobby and talk to you about what you were doing? They did. They did actually. There was a lot of interest in what it is we were doing. Um, a lot of people, you know, didn't know what a blogger was. So we had to explain to them what we were doing and why we were there. <sighs> but then you did get the people who were aware of what you know social media was, and they were really excited to you know look at our URLs and be like, oh, this is really cool. I'm going to go home and take a look at what you've written. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that strikes me as surprising, and I'm sure you've been blogging pretty consistently since 2001. Does I it have, still yeah. shock you when people come up to you and say, what's a blog? You know, it does, but it doesn't. I think if I were anywhere else, if I were at a more mainstream event, you know, something a little bit more modern, then it would <laughs> the surprise opera? me. But because we're at the opera, you know, you, you sort of expect the, the opera goers to be, you know, from a generation a little removed from your own. Mm-hmm. What, what do you think is the thing that has surprised you most about seeing these two operas? I think probably just the production value of them. I mean, you know, you, you go into the opera thinking that you, you know what it's all about, but when you actually get there and you see exactly, you know, that every opera is a little bit different in the interpretation that the art directors and the, and the singers themselves take, it's just it kind of really opens your mind as to, you know, this is an entire side of the artistic world that I had never even looked at before. Mm-hmm. Have people responded to your blog posts to interact with you that way about the opera? You know, they have. Um, I, after we blogged about uh, Carmen, I did actually have some friends who decided, you know what, this is really cool, let's go check it out. So they went on their own to go check out um, Carmen. Mm-hmm. And then for Rigoletto, uh, we had actually some people commenting on my site saying, you know, what they thought about the opera. Mm-hmm. And then also actually one of the performers, the guy who was on stilts for Rigoletto, found oh. my post <laughs> and commented <laughs> that because I was so excited about the guy on stilts. Right. So. <laughs> well, there certainly is so like... I'm definitely getting some feedback from people who are actually at the show and even in the show, which what? is really, you know, really it's, it's really cool. That's amazing. Would you would you recommend for other sort of, let's say, I guess you could call opera high art. I mean, would you recommend this sort of interaction with the ballet, let's say, or with the symphony in other areas? You know, as like my outlook on life is pretty much that anything is an experiment. Like it's an experience, right? Mm-hmm. So I think you know, treating yourself to seeing something that's a little more, you know, I guess highbrow than just going to a movie. You know, it, it's something that you should experience at least once in your life and then maybe if you get into it you know branching out into other areas like for things like the ballet like I've never seen a dance performance that wasn't you know a bunch of kids on stage at an elementary school uh-huh. so something like that would I think be you know something really trippy to take a look at that's completely different from the opera but still just as you know just as an experience mm-hmm. definitely well thank you so much for speaking with me today Kimley no and, problem um, I look forward to reading more of your blog postings in the future and you are headed to the next opera as well? As far as I know, yes, yes, they'll be doing, uh, they're going to they're gonna finish up the season with uh, the opera, the bloggers that they started with. Okay. So I'm really looking forward to that one as well. Well, great. Well, well, we may get in touch with you again at that point in time. Awesome. Thank you so much. No problem. Thank you. All right. You have a great day. You too. Bye. Bye. That was Kim Lee Welsh, and her blog can be found at blog.deliciousjuice.com. I also spoke with another blogger who attended Rigoletto this weekend. Her name is Rebecca Bolwit, also known as Miss 604. Rebecca has been blogging about Vancouver since 2004 and podcasting with her husband since 2005. Born and raised in the Vancouver area, Miss 604 is in love with all things West Coast and the Canucks. And it sounds like, as a, well, according to our conversation, she's a big fan of the opera now as well. Here's my conversation with Miss 604. How did you like Rigoletto? Um, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. I've seen, well, it's the third Vancouver opera I've seen this year. 
mm-hmm. and they've all been so different. Um, and, it, and so this was a, a very, definitely a different experience, but each had their own their own strong points. I was completely blown away by um, by Iglese. She plays Gilda. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gilda. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just that voice that it just reaches out from the back of the stage right through the auditorium. It's amazing the notes she hits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was wondering at one point if it was still her, <laughs> it was still her voice or a sound effect or some instrument. But yeah, it's amazing. Had you ever seen opera before you started going to the Vancouver Opera? Um, I saw La Boheme in high school. Mm-hmm. And that's about it. <laughs> and did you enjoy it at the time? I can't remember if I did or not, <laughs> um, but I do love seeing live shows. I mean, I love going to concerts and anything from, um, I used to go to a lot of punk shows when I was little, mm-hmm. <laughs> not little, but when I was younger, and um, I just love going out and, and experiencing something live and being there. So this year I've really gotten into live theater, and I've done a few things at the arts club, so um, doing the opera was the next step, and yeah, I just really enjoyed it. How? What? what were you taking... Um, were you, was it a surprise when you got the call from the Vancouver Opera Company to say, hey, um, we're interested in having some bloggers out to the opera? Um, well, I think initially I received an email before the, uh, Eugene Onegin, mm-hmm. uh, if I'm pronouncing that right, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that was earlier this season, and they invited me out to come and see that performance. And um, I thought, sure, yeah, that's great. I, I'd love to come out and check it out. I, get, I do get emails from people... Um, around town asked me to come out to certain events so mm. it, it was kind of like uh, just like any other event mm. um, so I went out and covered it and wrote a review and then they were just like okay we need to do more of this right. <laughs> we, need, we need more bloggers we need more people and we need to do this this whole thing again so I sat down with uh, Selena and Ling mm-hmm. the super marketing duo and we said why not have a blogger night at the opera so it just uh, came to fruition from there and it's really successful. Well, yeah, can you talk about what the kind of response has been? I'm sure people probably were approaching you in the lobby, but then people are probably also coming to the opera through your blogs. Mm-hmm. What what kind of response are you getting? Yeah, um, when I first posted my review, well, the, one of the first reactions to my review was the opera saying, wow, we need to do this more. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then just from readers of my site, um, just people going, you know, I never thought of that as an option for entertainment in Vancouver. Right. Um, you know, they they see the bus posters and they see the ads, but they they never it never kind of sunk in that for twenty bucks you can go out and see this amazing performance. Mm-hmm. And I've had people, um, a friend of mine actually, he's another blogger. He and he's into classical music and into this into the performing arts. And he just said, "Wow, it's great to see you know quote unquote a younger generation getting into this." Definitely. So, yeah. Do, what. I, I often wondered myself what it is that sort of keeps a lot of younger people away from traditional arts. Do you think it's just this sort of the idea that it's for older people, or is it a cost thing, or is it just because people don't really know what it's about anymore? It could be that they they don't know what it's about, or just that you know you see, you th- yeah you think it is uh, for an older generation, or it is a cost thing. But like I said, yeah, it's only twenty dollars to grab, you know, a, a seat for the opera. Um, a lot of people, you know, just through our culture, you think, oh, opera, a lot of people think, oh, opera's boring, mm-hmm. <laughs> or it's for rich people, or it's for, for older people, and, and yeah, I think that's, that keeps a lot of people away, and they don't realize. Mm-hmm. And looking at Rigoletto, for example, which opened just this past weekend, I mean, mm-hmm. that's certainly not a traditional-looking opera, and there's lots of different characters and different things on going on on the stage, apart from just the amazing vocals and the symphony orchestra. Mm-hmm. 
what do you think surprised you the most about this this Rigoletto performance that just opened? Um, surprised me most was the set, actually. Uh, mm. the, the last two have been very um, warm and um, kind of, they look kind of impressionistic. And, and the set for Rigoletto looks very industrial, mm-hmm. which, which you don't quite expect. And then it, but you realize, come to realize it totally matches the tone of, of Rigoletto. It's not uh, jumping jovial clown, <laughs> you know, um, and and yeah, the opera uh, on the note of, of people thinking it may, might be boring or so. Um, everyone I've seen this year has involved lust, love, sex, betrayal, <laughs> vengeance, and like these are very exci- exciting and um, interesting and um, uh, ideas, and they pull a lot of emotions. Definitely, they're drawing from the best of the best. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the worst of the worst. Oh, definitely. <laughs> of human emotion, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk a little bit about you, your role as a blogger in BC? What, what's that community like? And, and would you have imagined yourself, maybe when you started, ending up where you are now? Um, no, well, definitely when I started, it was just a hobby. And mm-hmm. I was actually going back through my old posts. I started in 2004. I was going through my old posts, and I just wrote stuff like, you know, I watched this on TV the other night, or I'm eating cereal for breakfast, and mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. And it was a hobby, and then just... Um, Were you writing just for yourself? Um, pretty much, yeah. I didn't... I, I just wanted to get some thoughts out there, um, out online. I, I've always been really technical and up with um, the latest trends online, so I wanted to, oh, what's this blog thing? Maybe I should start one. So mm-hmm. I just started putting stuff up there, and then... Uh, about 2006, it started turning a bit more serious. I'm like, well, let's see where I can go with this. So I started doing live blogging and going to conferences. And the thing about the Vancouver blogging scene is there's so much going on. There's so many people and businesses that are just um, supportive. And the social media scene in general has evolved so much in Vancouver. So then I knew that that's something I wanted to be involved with, with my site and then also professionally. Mm-hmm. And do you think that it's becoming much more wide, widely known? I mean, were there people walking up to you at the opera saying, what is this blogging stuff? Oh, yeah, definitely. Really? <laughs> yeah, um, there's people every day who, who wonder what a blog is, or they think a blog is just um, some lonely guy in his parents' basement uh-huh. <laughs> writing about his thoughts of the day. Right. And um, a lot of people don't know what can be done professionally. It can mm-hmm. be done... Um, yeah, in a professional capacity, and, and it can be really well-written, and you don't have to lose all sense of grammar when you're writing a blog. Mm-hmm. But um, re- in recent years, uh, social social networking, like MySpace and Facebook and, and Twitter, have have evolved, and so people recognize those things still a bit better than they, or a bit more than they would blogging. Mm-hmm. We've had people come up, to the op- uh, come up to us at the opera and say, so is this blogging thing like Facebook? Are you Facebooking? So... Mm-hmm. <laughs> But it's not it's not really like that at all. And I, I wonder I wonder about this idea of professional blogging. I mean, people are always talking about online monetization and mm-hmm. how you make money out of doing things online, especially when you're doing them on your own, like a blog. What was the process for you to go from doing it as just a hobby to making it more of a career? Um, I knew I didn't want to plaster my site with ads because mm-hmm. a lot of people, when they think blogging and making money, it's your, you go to the site you get pop-ups, you get Google ads everywhere. Mm-hmm. And the whole idea of my site has always been to share information and to be a useful resource. And I never wanted to bombard people with, with ads. So I do have some Google ads on my site, but I, if you uh, check my Flickr stream, I received, I think, my first $100 check recently after huh. 
four years, so right. <laughs> it's it's not feeding, it's not putting a dinner on the table by any means. Hmm. So the route I decided to go is to just be that resource and be that um, uh, blogging beacon, I guess, or professional who can tell your company how you can use blogging. I go out and do live blogging of events if mm-hmm. you want your event to be broadcast online. Um, I do speaking engagements, and then as well as the website coding. So I try and use all. I try to use all of the tools, and that's how I do it professionally. It's not so much just plastering ads everywhere. Right. And people, if they want to come and find your blog, they can find you at www.miss604.com. Mm-hmm. And have you got any other events on the near horizon that you're going to go and blog about? Um, coming up, well, actually, I just received media accreditation for the Juno, so I'm pretty excited about that. Oh, wow. And coming up next week, there's a third Tuesday event, which is the event that happens uh, every month, and it's for marketers, PR professionals, and also anyone who's curious about social media. Mm-hmm. That's always a good one to check out. And yeah, that's about it. <laughs> well, great. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me today, and uh, thanks for blogging about the opera. I think that this, it's a great way to, to bring a whole new audience into the Queenie. Definitely, yes. All right. Well, you have a great afternoon. Great. Thank you, too. Okay. Bye. Both Miss 604, a.k.a. Rebecca Bullwit, and Kim Lee Welsh from the blog.deliciousjuice.com blog will be attending the Vancouver Opera Company's final show of the season, which will be Strauss's Salome, and it will hit the stage in May. As for Rigoletto, it is still playing at the Queen Elizabeth Theatre until March 17th. And at $20 a pop, the tickets are well worth it, people. So uh, get out there and check it out. So you want to gain the freshman 15? Well, you probably will. So why not gain it ethically? Sprouts. The student-run, not-for-profit grocery store is now open in the lower level of the UBC Student Union Building, across from Travel Cuts in the Wellness Center. Sprouts is committed to providing the UBC community with healthy, locally produced, organic, and fair trade products at great prices. Sprouts will be open from 9.30 to 6 p.m., Monday through Friday. So you want to tag a ride on the sustainable gravy train? Sprouts is now looking for volunteers to help out with tabling, outreach, and at the storefront. So just drop by and pick up your application. Welcome back to the Arts Report. My name is Tracy Fuller, and this is CITR 101.9 FM in Vancouver. It's just after 5, or it's just about 5.30 p.m. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, this week I am devoting all of the music that I'm playing on the show to women. All of you women out there, because it is International Women's Week here at CITR, and there's a bunch of other programmers who are doing specifically women-related content, and I'm a woman, and women are great, and therefore, we're going to listen to some great women on the show today. So to kick things off, here's Julie Doiron. The former Eric's Trip member and Mount Erie associate has a new LP out called Jag- Jagjuar. Jagjuar. You'll remember Julie's 2007 album, Woke Myself Up, was shortlisted for the Polaris Music Prize. And Julie will be playing alongside the Sadies this Friday at the Biltmore Cabaret in Vancouver. So here, without further ado, is Julie Doiron with Heavy, Heavy Snow. Where our bikes lay 
out there. That's Julie Duaron with Heavy Snow. Heavy, 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 heavy snow. That's an Aca- She's an Acadian and she's showing up here in Vancouver this Friday playing alongside the Sadies at the Biltmore Cabaret. Now moving on, Blackbird is the name of the electrifying drama that left London and New York audiences breathless. Tomorrow night, that's March 12th, West Coast will receive its premiere at the Van City Culture Lab at the Colch. That's 1895 Venables Street. Blackbird was the winner of the 2007 Olivier Award, which is Brit- Britain's highest theatrical honor for best new play. David Hauer's cat and mouse tale of revenge and sexual in- intrigue has come to Vancouver thanks to Vancouver director Norman Armour and with the help of co-producers Theatre Conspiracy and Rumble Productions. Featuring the actors Jennifer Mahwini and Russell Roberts, Blackbird is a powerful and volatile play. It begins when Una shows up unexpectedly at the office of Ray, forcing him to come to terms with the effects of their relationship. Una pulls Ray into an encounter that is gripping, surprising, and utterly unforgettable. Guilt and raw emotions turn poisonous as they recollect 
recollect a passionate but disastrous love affair they had 15 years earlier. As tensions rise, we are left to question, what is the line between love and abuse? And can we ever break free from the shackles of the past? Blackbird Mark's Norman Armour's return to directing since taking over the reins of the Push International Performing Arts Festival in 2005. I reached Norman Armour on the phone earlier today, and here, for your enjoyment, is our conversation. First off, congratulations for another successful Push Festival. Um, you've been the executive director since 2005. How, how do you feel the, the festival went this year? I think we look very well. Um, uh, we're still young, uh, relatively speaking. Uh, you know, five years as a festival and three years as a, a standalone organization. And we held uh, the audiences that uh, we had developed uh, last year. Um, we sort of held the line with 24,000 people, which is quite quite remarkable. And um, it's great. It's great to have history behind the festival now. And it seems something kind of tipped over again this year. Um, you know, last year people were saying that the festival was the poster, the image of the festival was everywhere. And this year people just said it was everywhere, it being the festival. So it seems to have really um, lodged itself and in people's imagination and and their sense of their an annual calendar and what to do in January. And uh, um, Definitely, so and the new club push seemed to be a very exciting and, and welcome addition to the uh, festival this year. Yeah, it was a bit of a festival within a festival. Yeah. Uh, there were, I think, 16 different things or so, uh, and seven bands in total, so sort of 23 different presentations and mm -hmm. um, this sort of regional mixer of Portland, Seattle, Vancouver, Victoria. We have people from Calgary. Um, you know, and we had certain acts as far away as uh, Halifax in New York, but uh, as far as the indie bands and such, it was it was great on that side. And uh, it was a great, <clears throat> just a great feeling. We spent a lot of time as a team sort of talking through the feel of what we wanted the venue to be and the, the, um, uh, the, bar, the uh, club manager, uh, Heather Lindsay uh, really took charge, and um, there was a, a lot of volunteers wanted to, to, to spend time there. There was a, never a slot that wasn't full in terms mm -hmm. of people, uh, you know, uh, contributing their free time. Were and, you were you concerned at all at the beginning of the festival that due to the economic climate and the announcement that Ballet BC might be going under and other arts institutions voicing some concern, were you concerned that maybe um, it might not? A little bit, um, you know, a little bit, and I don't, I don't think we're through with it all, you know. No. Um, uh, I think it will have some effect um, on not-for-profit organizations. I mean, Valley BC, you know, it certainly have been having struggles and such, um, but I think there's larger questions around where their audience may lay in the future and what kind of programming they've been doing in the last few years as opposed to what they had been doing um, previous to the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. Um but I think everybody is is you know hitting. A, I mean, if housing market's going to go down to you know fifteen to twenty percent, then hmm. why wouldn't we be affected to Absolutely. some degree about that as well? Um, how, however, you know, I mean, it's it's starting to hit us out here. You know, obviously in the natural resources and things like that, mm -hmm. it hadn't been hitting us as hard as it had been hitting in Ontario. I think the the real test is how people do next season. Yes, definitely. The the year ahead is going to be. Uh, an interesting one to follow. Yeah, it's going to be a tough one, I think. But, um, but but on the bright side, Blackbird is opening up at the Colch, and mm -hmm. um, 
It's the first play you've directed since, I guess, joining the Push Festival back in 2005. Yeah, that's right. What was it that drew you to this play, other than, I guess, the fact that it won the 2007 Olivier Award? Uh, Heather Redfern and I had seen the premiere at Edinburgh Mm. um, about two and a half years ago in a theater called the Lyceum, a beautiful theater. Um, And I'd known the playwright. I'd actually done a sabbatical for three months in Glasgow, hanging out in the theater scene and um, the presenters in Glasgow and then Edinburgh and then also had been doing various forays over over to uh, Europe. Gotten to know him a bit, uh, got, and I'd already, uh, a few years earlier in the Push Festival, we had done a focus on the Scottish playwriting scene, mm. of which David Harrower is very much a part of a particular generation of writers who come up over the last 10 years. Uh, very prolific, very, very... Uh, uh, a group of writers who are extremely interested in language, um, mm-hmm. and and Heather and I were were really taken by the by the by the play. We we're really really taken by it, and mm-hmm. we sort of came back saying to each other, "Well, we have to find some way to make this happen." Right. And at a certain point, I kind of thought, "Oh well, I think the theater conspiracy with its international repertoire, and they had done certainly Irish work and had had interest in in a writer or two from uh, Scotland, mm-hmm. a contemporary writer that they were." writers that they were considering for programming, and I thought this might be a good project for them. Uh, Rumble got word of it and, and approached Theater Conspiracy, really wanted to be a part of it. They knew the script, knew of it. Mm-hmm. And um, for me, it was, you know, an opportunity to, to on the professional development side, to get back in touch with what it means to create work, what the risks and struggles and challenges that any artist are faces and, and t- uh, taking on a project, whether it's an existing play or otherwise, mm-hmm. to, it, to regain a kind of sensitivity to those questions and how the festival, in, in a way, can support um, uh, projects, either uh, adaptations or interpretations of existing scripts or creation of new work. Right. I, it strikes me that, I mean, you've been working with, as, as the artistic director for the PUSH Festival, you've been working with so many different talents and, and seeing so much different art being produced, and now you getting behind a play itself and then putting a lot of your efforts into a standalone work of art. Do you think that the PUSH Festival and what you've been doing in the, over the past years has really informed and changed the way you've directed this play? Yeah, in a way, and um, you know, that you get influenced by work that you see, definitely, and I've seen it with other artists in town when they've gone on some kind of excursion, you know, to to other theater centers to see work or gone to festivals, and they come back, and their work is informed by by influences and inspirations and and um, sort of provocations uh, of having seen, you know, other other people's productions and their artistic interests. Uh, for me, I think it's probably just made me more relaxed, um, mm. extremely relaxed in the room. I, I enjoy directing very, very much, um, and don't actually, in fact, have have much less sort of logistical concerns than than when you know presenting work in festivals. And there's a lot of communication stuff around when you're doing a festival coordination and this and that, and getting into the room, having seen so much work and seen um, all the kinds of things that go into various types of different types of presentations and work and such and seeing it on the stage and then in its final version and seeing an audience respond to it it's made me actually i think more relaxed than i've ever been in terms of um getting in the in the room and working on something that eventually is going to get to the public i'm much more relaxed about that kind of Mm -hmm. end of it all you know Mm -hmm. and how 
different audiences may respond to the work and how the artists themselves may, you know, deal with the ongoing performances and what they learn from an audience and, and how to stick to their guns and such. Mm-hmm. Um, it, stri- it, it strikes me as amusing a little bit that you're more relaxed, especially when it comes to this particular play, because all of the reviews that, have, that I've read so far all talk about ni- like gripping, nail-biting, mm-hmm. people, yeah. the audience n- being unable to even breathe sometimes because the subject matter is so intense and the way the yeah. play is presented. It's a remarkable piece, and we've... The two actors are, are extraordinary. Uh, Russell Roberts and Jennifer McMinney are fantastic. I mean, Russell has his ex- a remarkable ability to, to, uh, moment to moment and to connect with another actor in the room. Jennifer is n- not afraid of taking really, really challenging choices and, mm-hmm. and risking herself in the room in terms of uh, emotional involvement and such. And they, they make a really great counterpoint. I mean, Russell's been doing Bar on the Beach for number of years language just you know to him is, is something he breathes jennifer's mm-hmm. been working in out in uh, stratford for the last few years you know on big stages challenging material both um and uh and they're in both of them in very different stages in their career are in the great place to sort of tackle this material and they make a great compliment together right do you a dream to work with how do you think the audience is going to respond to this? Because the the subject matter is definitely uh, still quite taboo uh, mm. in terms of uh, what people are comfortable with and seeing whether it's on screen. But on stage, there's that heightened level of um, intimacy. I don't know, you know, and, and it's interesting. Like last year in the festival, we presented Hey Girl from uh, by Romeo Castellucci. Yes, I saw it. Italy. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and it was an interesting turning point for me in the festival because there was a lot of debates and oh. how people felt about the work, mm-hmm. and I felt very relaxed in going. I uh, found myself going, well, this is what the festival is about. I mean, one thing is is not to respect the work. It's another thing to go. I don't agree with the work, or right. I don't agree with its perspective, or I don't agree with this. But it's another thing, and I felt that amongst all of that debate, there was a respect for the work that was on stage. Mm-hmm. And so, in, in, uh, with the case of Blackbird, I don't really think too much about it. I, I, I one, I, I don't know. Um, and if I think too much about that, of what I don't know, it, it puts me in a position of getting anxious about the mm-hmm. work where I, I'm not anxious about it. Right. So I'm kind of curious to see, but also um, more than willing uh, to to allow that dis- discussion to happen. I think some people will be will will um, I think we'll will go home and and talk about it quite a lot actually. And that's what any I guess director hopes that a that theater does impress upon people that they do take it home and they talk to their friends about it and. It becomes more than just a night at the theater. It becomes something Absolutely. that lives on beyond that. Yeah, I mean, you know, one director has talked to me once about, you know, there's work that you can push over, which mm-hmm. isn't of value, and there's work that you can't push over. Uh, another director talked to me once about the whole idea of, of that residual after the performance. And sometimes that makes people want to talk right away, mm-hmm. and sometimes it's really something that happens a few days later. But you really do hope that a week later, somewhere in somebody's life, they, 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 something happens or they see something or um, experience something, read about something um, uh, that makes them 
reconnect to that experience that they'd had the week before, you know, or, or mm-hmm. a few weeks before, so that, that there is some kind of lingering sense to the performance, that it isn't a toss-away. Right. And, and uh, I think this production will do that. I think it'll, it'll stay with these people for quite a while. Well, Blackbird is playing at the Culture Lab at the Colch. That's 1895 Venables, starting tomorrow night, and it runs until March 29th. 29th, excuse me, Norman Armour directs the play and he spoke to me earlier today. Sticking with the theatre theme for this afternoon, what would you do if the love of your life was in front of you, inches away, but you could not touch them? Would you be able to control your own desire, even if your lover's fate depended on your restraint? Well, Vancouver-based playwright Andrew Templeton's new play, This Mortal Flesh, confronts just such a situation. Directed by David Bloom and produced by Machine Fair Productions, This Mortal Flesh is billed as an erotic tease and a fantasy parable. The story is one of profound love, delayed gratification, and exploding flamingos. This Mortal Flesh is opening this Friday at the Fire Hall Arts Centre. Earlier today, I spoke with Andrew Templeton over the phone. Andrew has had plays produced in both Canada and in the UK. His past productions include Branwell Alone, Howard Johnson Commits Suicide, and Portia, My Love, which was nominated for a Jesse Award. This Mortal Flesh is Andrew Templeton's most recent play, and I spoke to him earlier this afternoon. I guess right off the top, my first question has to be, why is This Mortal Flesh the ultimate date play? Um, I guess the answer to that would be that it's an exploration of profound love. And I, I sort of think of the piece as a kind of a companion piece to a play that I had produced a few years ago called Portia My Love. Mm. And I sort of think of that play as being um, about love in your 20s. It was right. about kind of mad, obsessive, mm-hmm. frantic love, and, you know, you fall in love at first sight, and you have to have this person. Right. And I sort of think of that as kind of an experience you have in your 20s. And I guess this mortal flesh is like a little bit more mature. So let's say in your early 30s or your late 20s, mm-hmm. and it's about that time when you've gone through the frantic love, you've gone through the commitment problems that seems to be something we all go through in our r- romantic relationships. And it's about two people who profoundly love each other, really should be together, and it's kind of working through the problems that they have about being together. Mm. So it's kind, of, it's kind of that. So I think it's about, and that's why we think of it as being kind of the ultimate date play. It's about really looking at what it is that stops us from being together and how we can overcome those things. Hmm. So for me personally, I, that that doesn't necessarily sound like a first date play, but maybe right. maybe a third date. Maybe, yeah. Well, I think, the, I think the other the other thing that's probably here that would would uh, kind of give it a bit of a bit of edge is that it's kind of it's also about kind of a sexual tease, right? Mm. So, the I should give you a little bit of about the setup of, of the piece. Sure. Um, the, the the it's a two hander, so there's only two performers, mm-hmm. and um, one of them it claims to be immortal and that she's a goddess, mm-hmm. and it's all about whether this is actually true, whether this claim that she's making is real. Now, part of the thing is is that um, her boyfriend can't touch her, so there's kind of this sexual charge that can't be released. Mm-hmm. So they really, really sexually desire one another, but they can't touch. 
Mm. Because if he touches, he dies, which according to her is what happens if you touch a goddess. I see. So there's kind of a sexual tension in the piece. And if it works as I think and I hope it will work, the... um, uh, the audience will kind of start to participate in it. Mm-hmm. Like, they will really want these guys to touch. Right. You know, they really want to get into it. They really want them to, to finally be together. So I think maybe, I think it could be a first day play, but maybe it's more for, yeah, maybe it is more like the third day. You're really into this person, <laughs> and you kind of want to give them a signal that, yeah, <laughs> let's take this to the next stage. Right. And so maybe the play would help you out in the, on that front. Yeah. I see. And, and was this play inspired by... Mm, any sexually frustrating and or um, <laughs> amazing experiences of your own? Um, maybe. I mean, just think. I didn't know you're <laughs> the first person to ask that. Really? But uh, um, probably, in a way, I mean, I think that it's more about, I think the two things are aligned, not so much about the sex side, but I think about the commitment side, and the two things are kind of interlinked, right? Right. And so I think that the... I've certainly been in relationships where, you know, you, you're deeply devoted to someone, but there's some problems that crop up, and you're overcoming those problems, right? Mm-hmm. And the, the, the sexual energy can be there. And certainly, you know, you meet people that you sexually desire, and, and there's definitely chemistry there. But there could be reasons why you can't be together, whether maybe you're each in a different relationship, your other relationship, mm-hmm. or... Or it's improvised. There's sort of there's a dynamic in terms of it's somebody that you're working with, whatever it might be. Right. I think we've all experienced those, right? Definitely. And you know, you kind of have fantasies about what it would be like to be with that person, but you can't be with them. So mm-hmm. the play kind of plays really. I guess that's, that's a good way of thinking of it. It really plays into that kind of area of of sexual desire and experience. The person that you would love to be with, or at least sexually know, but for whatever reason you can't. Right. So, from a philosophical perspective, do you think that good things really do come to those who wait? Uh, yeah, I do. There's something called emotional intelligence, mm-hmm. you know, about this idea, yeah. And um, yeah, they're, one of the ways of experimenting, the way, one of the ways that they test this in children is to, is, I think it's a marshmallow, they give the child a marshmallow mm-hmm. and they say, if you uh, don't eat this marshmallow, I'll give you another one in a few minutes, and they right. leave the child alone with the marshmallow. And, <laughs> and if the child eats it, they've got a low emotional intelligence. And if they don't eat it, they're 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 very they have a powerful sense of delayed gratification. Mm-hmm. And I think probably as an individual, I'm kind of big in delayed gratification. You know, it's kind of like that. I do think that there's something pleasurable about delaying pleasure, mm-hmm. and um, I think that if you you know, if you wait, sometimes things are more satisfying. Hmm. Okay, well, because I was going to ask, why then didn't you open the play for Valentine's Day a month ago? But perhaps now we can uh, cultivate the relationships that maybe started around that time. Yeah, yeah, right. it's funny. It's it's interesting. We actually started promoting the show about Valentine's Day, and everybody mm-hmm. said that. They said, oh, it's, so valen- it's such a Valentine's Day show. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's other factors, of course, that work in in terms of we're part of a season of shows at the fire hall. Mm-hmm. So this is the slot that they put us into. But um, it, 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 somebody suggested that maybe the one thing about delaying from Valentine's is that, well, in theory, the weather should be nice. Uh, well, we're I kind mean, of getting into spring, and maybe people's thoughts are turning to romance. That's but maybe, right. maybe this is a bit more of a romantic time of year than mm-hmm. in February. The bees are buzzing, the birds are singing, and uh, exactly, the things are going that are way. Exactly, the cherry blossoms are 
zooming and the ducks are getting together. So maybe mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's that time of year. Definitely. Um, in a lot of the write-ups, you have said that uh, the director, David Bloom is the perfect choice for this mortal flesh. Mm. What, what is it about him specifically that aligns so harmoniously? Well, I think the, probably there's two things that come to mind. One is David's actually a playwright, mm-hmm. so he, as well. So he's, he, he's, he, he brings an understanding of, 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 a play, uh, of how a playwright thinks. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really helpful because that means that he kind of gets into a script in a very specific way, which is quite different than a lot of directors do. So he understands um, how how a play is constructed, right. and I think that that gives you benefit, especially for a new piece, right? Because mm-hmm. you know this was still, you know, it's still a piece that we've been just changing ever so slightly over the last few weeks, mm-hmm. and David is able to give a very informed view on those changes. So there's that side of it. The other side is David is um, is an intelligent guy, and he's also very funny. Mm-hmm. And the play is a comedy, you know, right. ultimately. And he's got a really uh, he's got a really uh, sharp sense of humor, which which will be very useful for the piece. So he brings in, in terms of the performances, in terms of what happens on stage, he add, he's adding layers of humor, also adding layers of intelligence to the work which um, I think just makes it that much better. Right. And he also is very good at directing sex scenes, so mm. there's kind of a sexy kind of element to it as well. Absolutely. So it does sound like you've been quite involved in the process of bringing this piece to the stage. I'm going to fade that uh, interview out a little bit early because I always run over and I always feel very bad for Eric and Julie who have audio text. They're coming up next on CITR. But to close the show today, I must let you know that This Mortal Flesh is hitting the stage at the Firehall Arts Center this Friday. That's March 13th, and it runs to the 21st. It runs Tuesday to Sunday at 8 p.m., and there is a matinee in there somewhere. The Firehall Arts Center is located at 280 East Cordova Street in Vancouver, and This Mortal Flesh was written by Andrew Templeton, who I spoke to earlier today, directed by David Bloom, and produced by Machine Fair. And you can find tickets at www.firehallartscenter.com. So, as per usual, I haven't gotten through to all the music that I thought I was going to be playing on this show. And that's not because I don't have respect for the women out there. This is uh, Nididi Kuulu. And um, she is performing tonight at the Biltmore Arts Centre. I mean, the Biltmore Cabaret. Um, Now, this track that I'm playing is called Goodnight JF. And in my own mind, this song is dedicated to my Uncle John Fuller whose initials are JF, like in the song's title, but I highly doubt that Nadidi knows what a con- who um, my uncle is. She, herself, is a complex, enigmatic woman of Nigerian and German descent who was born and raised in British Columbia and has never, never ever met my uncle in Metcalf, Ontario. Nevertheless, this track, Goodnight JF, comes off of Nadidi's acclaimed sophomore release, The Contradictor, which has been nominated for a Juno Award this year for Best Roots and Traditional Soul Record. Nadidi will be playing a gig tonight at the Biltmore Cabaret, so if you're liking what you're hearing now, head on down there to catch this rising soulful singer in the flesh. As for me, this is the end of the Arts Report for today. I'm Tracy Fuller. Tune in to CITR this Friday to catch the weekend arts update. And tune in next week again from 5 until 6 p.m. right here on CITR 101.9 FM for a whole new 
program of The Arts Report. I'm Tracy Fuller. Send me an email here at arts at citr.ca if you like what you hear. And until next week, enjoy Nididi Onukulu and have a good night. Sitting with you is nice, sweet, I just want to say, want to say it Well, cold mornings, they don't make my heart bright It grows dim as the air moves in Just want to lay Sweet, I just want to say